This is a crowd podcast. Hello, I'm Geraint Thomas. And I'm Tom Fordyce. And you've just entered the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Brought to you by Zwift, the indoor cycling app where fun is fast. Welcome. So, G, we're halfway through the series. Time flies, doesn't it, when you're having fun? Sure does, Tom. I've, uh, yeah, it's crazy. I can't believe it. I thought, like, initially when you said, oh, we'll do 20, 20 podcasts, I thought, wow, what are we going to talk about for 20? But, yeah, fair play, flying by. Hang on a second, what's that noise in the background, G? Ah, uh, sorry, yeah, just a helicopter going past. Ah, uh, it's the classic sounds of Monaco, the sports car driven by the fat 60-year-old billionaire and the helicopter clattering past. <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess, yeah, yeah. It's not the life I live, but yeah, there we go. There's plenty of that. those folk around, yeah. Now, I've got an idea, G. I was going to start today's episode in a slightly different way. So no talk of kit, of Welsh cakes or social events. We're actually going to start with some cycling for once. We've had this message in from Blair Hopcroft, and it's nice because I think it's exactly what we'd hope the GTCC is all about. So Blair says, I got into cycling a bit more seriously about four or five years ago, but I've never really followed professional cycling much. However, listening to the podcast, I've learned loads. As a newcomer to following the sport, where should I start? It seems the ideal time at the start of a new season. So here we go, GUB is guide. What does Blair need to know? Do we need to give him a rough outline of how the season works, that we're going to start with some cobbled classics and move on? Four. Yeah, that's a good place to start. Basically, well, the season starts earlier and earlier these days. So it starts in January, generally in Tour Down Under, in any normal non-COVID year. Then a few of the Middle East races, so UAE and stuff. And then traditionally in Europe, it kind of starts, yeah, the, the, the classics are the main sort of focus. You have opening weekend, it's known as end of February, first cobbled races. They sort of build up then to the big classics um, or monuments, which are the five biggest races, one-day races in cycling. You have Milan-San Remo. Then you have the cobbled races. There's another helicopter for you, Tom. Another fat guy. And then there's, yeah, Roubaix, Flanders. You've got the Ardennes in um, the hilly Belgian races. You've got, and in Netherlands, actually, Amstel Gold, Flesh Wallone. And then the sort of Grand Tours start then. You have the Giro d'Italia in May, Tour de France in July, and the Vuelta Espana in September. And then the season closes with the World Championships end of September. So there's obviously a lot of other big races in and amongst that. But generally, that's the outline. Yeah, I hope that, does that tick all your boxes, mate. That ticks some boxes. Should we give Blair a sort of top three teams as well? I know this is slightly different in cycling. But if Blair's going to look out for three teams, I imagine one of them will be Ineos Grenadiers. But which other two would you go for? Yeah, so in cycling, I think there's 18 maybe in the top tier known as the world tour so yeah Enios Grenadiers for sure the main one to look out for and then there's obviously the Koenig Quickstep which is a Belgian team they're sort of known for the one day races the classics got Jumbo Visma who were probably the best team around last year there's your three mate lovely and three riders for Blair to look out for should we give him a little range here I think we should give him maybe one classics rider one Grand Tour rider and then uh, a top women's rider as well. Okay, cool. So women, I'll go for Lizzie Dygden. She rates races for track. I think she's uh, yeah, she's a bit sick at the start of the season, so not ideal, but you know, plenty more races for her to go at. Classics guys, there's a lot of good guys. I think I can maybe reel off a couple. Peter Sagan, he's sort of been there, done it, been around a good ten years now. There's obviously Wout Van Aert and Van der Poel who. They've sort of come from cyclocross, but they're really good in the classics um, and a heap of other riders, actually. And then GC riders, I think Philippe is sort of in between classics and GC. He's great to watch. You know, he's always attacking um, unexpected stuff from him. Pogacar won the, the, the Tour de France last year, young rider. For sure, he's going to be good this year. Roglic as well, lit it up last year. Teo, Teo was in my team. He won the Giro d'Italia. So yeah, it's just super competitive, actually. It's, I think it's um, the best place it's been for a while. I think, you know, number of, numerous guys that can win classics, numerous guys that can win Grand Tours. So I think it's an um, exciting year racing ahead. And I think uh, Blair will have great fun watching, I'm sure. 
There you go, Blake. You've almost had your own podcast. You've had so much detail there. I hope you're happy. <laughs> Let's get on with the rest of the show. Gee, there's something we've talked about a fair amount on this podcast, but I think we should do an episode just on this because it's played a massive part in your life, in the early part of your career. It has brought Britain heaps of Olympic golds. And it's maybe the one thing that you would tell our members, if it's one thing they haven't tried in cycling, I reckon you'd tell them to do this. See if you can guess what I'm talking about. Oh, I think it's got to be um, track riding on the velodrome. Yeah. I mean, velodromes, right? As someone who has only dabbled in the world of velodromes, but I mean, I've sat there and reported in velodromes. They're always, anytime I walk into one, they're always something pretty beautiful. Out of all the sporting arenas you go into, there's something about the boards and the shape. They're beautiful things. Yeah, definitely. I think when I was a kid and even when I was racing in the Olympics and stuff, when you the first time you see that stadium, wherever it is, you do get that buzz and that sort of like adrenaline, like, wow, yeah. And even like you kind of walk underneath the track, obviously, and you come up the steps and then you see the track for the first time. It's just a real buzz. And um, yeah, they all have their their little atmospheres really, you know. And um, yeah, there's something about it because obviously in road racing, we don't have like a stadium, do we? It's just A to B. So we also asked some of our fellow GTCC club members about their first experiences of a velodrome. And we got a massive, massive pile of response on this, some absolute beauties. Um, most people do seem to have crashed, <laughs> is what I'll say. But they have lived to tell the tale and still seem to be enjoying cycling. Uh, here's a positive one to start with from Jim. Jim says, I just lost major timber, £23 in 2013. And I took my class to the velodrome in Newport. The velodrome's name, of course, Geraint is? Geraint Thomas National Velodrome Wales. Thank you very much. The instructor asked if I wanted to go. It was my first time on a bike in years. After a few laps and a massive rush, I went home and bought a road bike. Yeah, fair play. That's a good induction. And here's one from Gret Zoller. Got told I'd ruin my knee wrestling last January and took up cycling the next day as the surgeon said bigger quads might help. Signed up for a trial at Derby Velodrome the week after. The Derby coaches were so helpful, great guys. I loved the speed, the rush, everything. It was a lot easier than I thought, and I'd recommend it to anyone. Fair play and good name for a wrestler, Gret Zoller. <laughs> yeah, but the wrestling's over, possibly. Yeah. So is it a good name for a cyclist? Yeah, yeah, definitely, sprinter. <laughs> uh, here's one from Tom M. Age 15 at Edinburgh Meadowbank Velodrome. Did a couple of laps, panicked and somehow fell off. Realised why having hairy legs is bad, really bad. So I think he's guessed, yeah, the old splinters and patches on the old hairy legs, taking that off is, uh, yeah, not pleasant. So yeah. <laughs> at least at 15, he couldn't have been that hairy. Well, I wasn't anyway. <laughs> yeah. But, unless, unless Tom M went through puberty at 11 or 12, Tom, get in touch. Let us know. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one from Mark. 13 years older, I come and try it. With uh, Cycling Club Cardiff down at Mainde. Ah, oh, gee, your old stomping ground. Uh, final race before youngsters go on. Some guy comes down hard on the final bend, knocked unconscious and carted off in an ambulance. Hopefully this wasn't you, G. My mum's like, okay, yeah, I'm not sure this is sensible. And I'm like, get me on there now. Good on him. I bet he's still whapping around there. Here's another one from Jerry. I'd never ridden on the track until Newport Velodrome, also known as Gary Thomas Velodrome World, <laughs> was built in 2003. It was like learning to ride a bike all over again at 33 years old. Ten years later, became Masters Points Race World Champion. Fair play. And for those Whoa. those listeners who don't know what Masters is, it's, it's vets, basically, isn't it? Well, I think of vets, I think of like World War people, but over 40s, basically, people isn't it? with their hands up cow's bottoms. Oh, yeah. <laughs> that didn't even <laughs> pop into my head, which is weird, isn't it? But yeah, it's basically age group world champs, isn't it? So I think it starts from 40, but yeah. There we go. Another one from Ricky, 1996 or so. I was 14 and in a group of us from Northern Ireland got picked up to go over and try out Manchester track. Great experience, but unfortunately the closest indoor one to us. That is a bit of a trip, isn't it? That is a commute, to be fair. Mm. Um, here's some from, from our fellow club members who went as fans. So Luke Bates says, 2008 Olympics, walked up, got a ticket for eight quid outside. Beer was about a pound a pint. Watched you guys qualify and got gently pissed. Absolute result. Result. What a lovely story that is from Luke. Hang on, sorry, Tom, but I, what's with getting gently pissed at one pound a pint? You'd be absolutely steaming <laughs> yeah. after one pound a pint, wouldn't you? 
You wouldn't forget what happened, but <laughs> nothing yeah. gentle. Nothing gentle about that. <laughs> anyway, sorry. <laughs> Maybe there were long queues. Maybe it's one of those ones where it just takes you half an hour to get served. By eight. You still for a pound a pint, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Here's one from I'm not quite sure what their name is, G. It could be Descaper, it could be Descaper, or it could be a policeman called DS Caper. Or a director sportive. That's true, yeah. It could be director sportive caper. Walking into the Derby Velodrome as a non-cyclist, and the first thing that came to mind was, okay, who's broken physics? <laughs> Here's another one from Chad Wilson. Shit, that's steep. Say it how it is. Timbo Jones. The air inside felt different. Cold, still, and the acoustic strange. The light in low, an intense feeling. It is like that, though. Fair play. He couldn't have, we should get him on. He can describe things better than me. That almost feels like a, a velodrome haiku. Like you could read that. Try reading that as a poem. Uh, you're the professional, mate. You read it as a poem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's an absolute hospital pass I've given you there. Um, maybe someone, right, we, we can maybe post this on our socials. And if someone wants to set this to music, it actually feels more like a lyric to me. So if someone wants to set Timbo Jones's email to music, I'll read it out for you one more time so you can scribble it down and then stick it to us on at GTCC underscore on Twitter, GT Cycling Club on Insta, or just our Facebook group. So this uh, possible lyrics for your song from Timbo Jones, once again, the air inside felt different, cold, still, and the acoustics strange. The lighting, low, an intense feeling. (laughs) (laughs) Good job there, mate, good job. Just some wafer being drizzled with chocolate. Exactly, yeah. And had a beautiful advert for Velodrimes. Um, here's one from Andy. Watching a round of the World Cup at Manchester. Oh, this is a bad one. Watching a round of the World Cup at Manchester, putting my empty coffee cup on the barrier and knocking it off. Thankfully not during a race. Then the shame of watching it roll slowly down to the Cote d'Azur and a bloke having to come and pick it up. The shame. The shame. Yeah, that's, that's not good, is it? Oh, here's a nice one, G. Finally, Ben Swift, your mate Swifty. He's got in touch to say his favourite memory of velodromes is beating you in a scratch race down Mandy. Oh, I'm not having that. I don't think that was a scratch race. That must have been a handicap or something. He had a big head start. Not buying that. Not from him. <laughs> Let's get our guest on. Hello. Um, hello there. What voice do you want me to do? I'll just do my voice. Do your voice. Yeah, thanks. Hello, I'm Joe Marler. People think I hate people, but I don't. (laughs) I actually love interaction with people. I love finding out what jobs they do and whether I could do what they do. The Joe Marler Show. Joe Marler Show. With new episodes every Wednesday. The GTCC are delighted to be sponsored by our friends at Amp Human. They're dedicated to helping athletes at all levels achieve their potential, even amateurs like me. Amp's flagship product, PR Lotion, is the world's first and only lotion to deliver the natural electrolyte bicarb to the body. Now, gee, this all sounds quite fancy, but you've been using it for, what, a couple of years now? Does it help? Yeah, definitely, and it's not just any old ad this either you know to try and get a bit of cash in to help produce the pod but i genuinely feel like it does help kind of lather it on wherever you want whatever muscles are working so yeah bang it all over my legs for any hard session or uh yeah time trial well there's studies as well that show a 50 percent reduction in muscle soreness when using pr lotion and you can benefit too with 25 percent off your next purchase using the code gtcc 25. That's the letters GTCC and the number 25. Just visit amphuman.com forward slash GTCC and start training with your PR lotion today. Right, today, Tom, we've got a proper guest for you. Really, she doesn't need much of an introduction, but I'm going to give it a good go anyway. Four-time Olympic champion, seven-time world champion, She's Britain's most successful female Olympian ever and the most successful female track cyclist of all time. Not bad. She's also national road race champion and as her Twitter bio says, most importantly, she's mum to Albert. Welcome to the Garen Thomas Cycling Club, Laura Kenny. Hello. How was that for an intro? (laughs) 
Not bad, not bad. Anything I left out there? No, I don't think so. <laughs> to be fair, it's not a bad record. How are you doing anyway? Thanks for joining. Uh, it'll do. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Yeah, how are you? Yeah, all good. It, it, Tom, I've got a question for you before we really get into this. Outdoor tracks, are they classed as velodromes? I think we have to stick them in. Yeah, like, for sure. Velodrome's a French word. There's nothing in velo. Velo is bike, drone, build. There's nothing in there that suggests a roof is there. I reckon we can do it. Well, because they used to do the Olympics on ones that didn't have roofs, right? Yes. So surely well, it's still a velodrome. Otherwise they didn't compete on a velodrome. <laughs> Very true. Good logic. <laughs> um, <laughs> with Athens, they that had a roof but no sides, wasn't it? Do you yeah, remember? it's like Cali. Yeah. It's yeah. sort of floating roof, wasn't it? Yeah. It's got sides now, though, I believe. Okay, well, that shows I've been out the game too long. <laughs> Are you going to come back? <laughs> or never say never. I'd love to just race on the track again, just because it's, um, it's good fun, isn't it? It's intense and it's, the atmosphere is amazing, but it's just the training that I think to come back in the team suit would just be too much, really. You know, for a okay. start, you know, I'd have to take all my family up to Manchester and yeah. It's nice, Manchester, don't get me wrong, but... <laughs> but it's not Monaco. <laughs> <laughs> or exactly. even Cardiff, you know, Cardiff. Like, you know, it's tropical down there compared to, to Manchester. Is but... it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but you two have, have lived your lives on velodromes. Gee, like that part of your life might be over now, but between the two of you, you probably know more about velodromes, definitely velodromes in this country, than anyone else. Yeah, where did you start, Laura? Um, I was down at Welling, so Welling Golden City. So 500 metre bumpy in fact it's not as bumpy anymore because they relayed it when um i was actually growing up so it was terrible initially like it was potholes galore and then they relayed it it melted a little bit down the top <laughs> it, it generally had like <laughs> wheel marks in from where people were just holding on the fence and the track was just like melting and then they did it again and now i hear that it's okay i haven't been back for a while to be fair yeah that's the same with mandy mandy was red when i started and um coming out of well, turn two we'd call it as you come into the back straight it was like a big dip you know it'd go down yeah. and up and <laughs> but because um, it was built on apparently it was built on well it was a running track before that but before that again going back even further it used to be a tip a waste tip so that's why it's all oh, it's really? just constantly sinking apparently but yeah, okay. but um yeah that's been resurfaced that's really good now apparently it's more of an all-weather sort of um surface which is you know ideal even though i was saying yeah. it's tropical down there it's, it rains a lot in the rainforest, <laughs> doesn't it? So, <laughs> yeah. So when you started, were they still doing those? When I did it, it was like Talent Spotter series. It was called, but basically for under sixteens, like race all over the country. Yeah, yeah. So it wasn't because it's in regions now, isn't it? But yeah, when um, I did it, it was the same thing. I think I might have actually been the last year where they did. Because did you have to do some random like mountain bike test on the like? Because in Welling it was grass on the inside, and you had mm. to go like in and out of cones and stuff, and then. <laughs> you had to do like a, I want to say it was like a 3K time trial just around a grass field, like on a mountain bike. <laughs> and then if you were good enough, you got on talent team, which obviously you were on a track bike then. So completely different. Yeah, I never was on the, I don't think talent team came to Wales. I think it was more of an England thing. Um, oh, okay. I think Welsh Cycling had their own sort of thing. But yeah, the, the talent spot thing with us was kind of, it was basically Omnium. So now the Omnium is Olympic event, but back in the day, it was like a race we'd all do just for learning really you do a bit of everything so it'd be a short sort of sprinty type race and then you know a scratch race a to b you know winner first across the line then a points race where it's points for the first four people across the line every 10 laps for instance say on a, a normal 250 velodrome what else was there there was like handicaps where basically off your 200 meter time trial time maybe i think it was they'd seed you so the slowest would have a head start the fastest would be at scratch, you'd call it. What else was there? There was like pursuits. So yeah, that's why I remember when they announced the the Omnium was going to be an Olympics. We were kind of like, what the hell? I guess uh, that's what you do when you're under sixteen. Like, but but now it's now it's just normal, isn't it? Now it's obviously yeah. it's established and it's respected and everything. But I remember when it first came in, I was like, yeah. See, we were the opposite when it came in. My sister rang me straight away, and I mean, I was still. What, it was 2008, was it, when it first came in? Or 2009, maybe? And uh, my sister ran me straight away and was just like, that's your event. And I was like, <laughs> yes, it is. <laughs> I'll do that talent spotter event. <laughs> Not good at everything, but average them at all, so it's fine. 
It's one of the weird things about a velodrome. So, so people will be used to watching the ones on TV that host the Worlds and the Olympics, which is sort of standard-ish. But the weird thing about the velodrome, certainly the ones that you two would have gone in, on in your younger days, and the ones that people can still ride on around the country, is they're all different, aren't they? They're different length, different shapes, weirdly, different heights of banking sometimes. Yeah, and like you can literally have a World Championships on any of them. Like, so it can be outdoors and you can, you can host a World Championships, which is mad, isn't it, really? Because you don't know what you're going to get. And then it doesn't even matter. Like, they'll say, oh, this one's built by the same people. And then you go and you're like, wow, this is completely different. Yeah, yeah, so true. Like, I think, oh, just, just growing up on the track, you just, especially the outdoor velodromes, they were all unique. They all had their little, you know, characteristics that made them different. Whereas now, obviously, with World Cups and stuff, generally... It's a 250 indoor wooden track, although Moscow obviously 333. But generally it's all the same and it all enclosed and, and you kind of, everything is a lot less, a lot less variables and everything's more measured and you kind of know what you're going to get. But yeah, that, that's what kind of made it more exciting though, I think, you know, driving all the way up to Scunthorpe and just hoping it wasn't rain because it would be quite a long way to go from Cardiff to just get <laughs> rained off. But um, no, they were good trips back in the day, you know, we'd go camping and, play a bit of you know football or a bit of quick cricket do you remember quick cricket when it came into schools tom like oh yeah oh that was great yeah we used to play that the night before and stuff so yeah <laughs> cracking weekends yeah barbecues in the rain and laura your dad i remember your dad telling me once that he used to try and like tack on a little interesting educational side trip like let's say you were going down to newport he treats you to the ask transporter bridge yeah we did yeah and then um some underground thing what was it what am I thinking of? <laughs> it's like... In Newport? Uh, well, it's near... Um, maybe Cardiff. No, I swear it's Newport. Like, it's like an underground tour thing. The Big Pit? Yeah, there we go. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Big Pit. I've still got an, or- um, an orange, a red dragon from the Big Pit, I have, you know? <laughs> Quality. <laughs> it's just like random stuff like that. Yeah, or like um, we'd go to football pitches, like football stadiums, just like whatever one was local. But yeah, so we used to just do like a little, so that it wasn't just going to cycle, you know, like, because obviously we were young, like my dad didn't want us to be like, oh, this is really serious when you're 10, like 11. So um, yeah, he used to tag on a little trip for us. There was a lot of them though, one there. There was a lot of parents that took it very serious. Oh yeah. Just like, it was mad looking back actually. (laughs) And like some of the money that was thrown at it. Yeah. From like other parents who you just think, wow. Because we used to have set rules. Like my dad used to be like, you have to win like a nationals or whatever to get a disc wheel. Because I remember my sister won first. So she got a disc wheel and I was like, oh, but I wanted one. (laughs) (laughs) And Um, nationals actually, when they were in Manchester, they used to be, you know, under 16s, under 12s, even all the way through to seniors. And we used to go around as mainly flyers asking people to borrow their disc wheel. I was like... (laughs) I'd never lend a, like a 12, 14 year old a disc wheel. The amount they crash and stuff. Like, You know, at my first nationals, um, my steerer snapped. Well, not the steerer, I guess like the bolts on the stem. And Swifty was selling a bike at the time. Like he just had a for sale sign just and it was just at the bottom of the ramp. And my dad just went up to his dad and was like, can we just like pinch the handlebars? And he just let him have her. Like we could just have him. And so, yeah, my first nationals was on Ben Swift's handlebars. <laughs> Which at the time I was like, ooh, <laughs> <laughs> <Got 50 sandals. laughs> that's the thing it's a good bit of camaraderie one there i think every, yeah it was that little community really a track racing yeah it really was yeah and like camping outside because my nationals is always at newport because obviously i was that much further behind you lot because you're getting old now g <laughs> <laughs> yeah um, time's going by <laughs> he has got his name on the center now though i know <laughs> Laura, isn't i mean when we go in april that's gonna be weird <laughs> <laughs> i was gonna pull you up actually going thomas national velodrome of wales actually <laughs> not newport <laughs> so is there like thinking about the different shapes then laura I want to know what makes a particular track fast. So let's go through some of the variables, right? The surface, first of all. What makes a, a fast track in terms of the surface? Um, well, I mean, I don't know the ins and outs of what the wood is and all that jazz, but I mean, a wooden one's faster than a concrete one. <laughs> <laughs> um, and like different ones. Newer one, quicker? No, not necessarily, no. Because when Appledorn was built, it was horrible. Like it just wasn't a fast track. And then since it's been relayed, it's better. But initially, no. And also, it can be slippery. In fact, Newport, when I first went on it, I slapped off. Gary Thomas was... National Valley of Wales. <laughs> <laughs> 
it was horrible. <laughs> Have a word, G. <laughs> yeah. I'm just getting the name right, I that's bet, all. I'm only glad it weren't called that then. <laughs> it was just really dusty. So, yeah, not always, new is not always better. Yeah, I think when it comes to shape as well, the more oval it is, like the closer to a circle it is, the better. So the more you're in the bend, because the bends are basically quicker. You, you speed up with the... Is this centrifugal force? I don't know what force it is, but it's a nice force. It speeds you up basically in the bend. So the shorter the straights, the better, basically. That's why I think Apple Dorm, LA, they're quite long straights from what I remember. But if they're really tight, so like Cali, for example, I mean, that one's a bit different because it doesn't have sides. So you've got like crosswinds to deal with. But if they're really tight, it's quite hard to sit on a wheel. So like in a Team Pursuit, for example. So it is quicker as long as your bike handling skills are up to scratch if you know what I mean because you get like one out of the banking and obviously if you're sitting this close to a wheel then you want to be able to yeah keep up I don't know it can be scary sometimes if they're really tight <laughs> what about the temperature does the temperature make a difference oh yeah hot the better yeah I mean I think like best is 28 is it I hear because any hotter than that like in a points race you're like sweating whereas I think 28 is like ideal for body temperature is it <laughs> maybe yours I don't know I think uh, heat is definitely good yeah as Laura says all I know is if a storm's on on the way your chances are you're going to go quick on the track really even though it's indoor that can yeah, make a difference yeah because the pressure's really low I don't know what pressure's measured in all I know is the number so a thousand and above is horrendous if you can get nine like a number that's like nine nine something then chances are you're on for a good day yeah, definitely. Because I remember Bob Ridge, when he broke the individual pursuit record, back then it was like 4.10, now it's like 4.01, which is ridiculous. But yeah, when he broke that, it was in Perth. It was just in the training track in Perth, but it was a good shape to that track. And yeah, it was super hot. I think it was over 30 degrees. And then, yeah, really low pressure because a big storm was coming in. So it was like, you know, definitely under a thousand and ideal conditions then to go fast. So. What's the feeling like of coming off the banking at pace? I'm guessing you have to absolutely love it, Laura. Yeah, it, it, like when you're having a good day, right? I can't even explain it. Like, and you know when you're going fast as well. Just it's it's the combined feeling of when you come down and like you hit the bend and like you can almost feel the force like pushing you, like pushing against your arms. Like, because obviously for us, we do most of our training on a team pursuit bike and it's like the force into your tri bars and like it's the combined with the sound as well of the disc wheels. Um, and like I was like just saying, yeah, isn't even, it? Yeah, like I don't know, I can't even really explain it to you. Um, like, I mean, sometimes I remember at London, right, at the Olympics, and I hadn't done um, a flying lap on that track, and I just rock up and do it. Obviously, that was the first event in London, and I was going that fast, like, compared to what I'd done before. I, like, I came out of the bend and was, like, wung up above the red line, and I was like, wow, like, that's probably the fastest I've ever travelled. And it's weird, it's like being in a washing machine. <laughs> like, that's all that I can explain it, like, almost being out of control. It is great, that feeling, especially like even more so like in the team pursuit when you're just flying around. It's almost effortless sometimes, like when you're getting that slingshot out of the bank in and your changes, when you just nail your changes. Like I remember Shane always used to say, don't go against the boards. And you're, I'm like, don't go against the boards. What are you on about? Like, but it's like sometimes you just hit that sweet spot and you change, you just nail it. Yeah, like Laura says, coming off the top as well. I think the best track to do that, though, is Moscow. Because um, have you ridden Moscow, Laura? No, I've never been, no. It sounds unbelievable. scary. It's like, it's almost twice the size of a normal track, width-wise. And it's 333 metres long. So, yeah, a normal track is 250. So I think the world record for 200 metres there, even though it's in Moscow, you know, which is Baltic, but they must have cranked the heating up as well. But, yeah, you can get so much height. You get so much extra speed off the top of those things. It's... Um, that's a great track to ride. You just don't want to come off. I remember, oh, I came off there in um, 2003 Junior Worlds and it was like I had a hedgehog on my arm, you know, just the amount of splinters <laughs> in me because that track is, that definitely hasn't been resurfaced since it was built and it's just so, you know, you run your finger along it, you pick up splinters. It's... Oh. I can't believe you, start, you started talking about crashes when we've banned crashes and it was you who banned talk of crashes, G. But since you have, Laura, I'm going to ask you, is it worse crashing on the road or crashing on the track? Well, see, I would have always said the road because you don't often hear of broken bones. Not that bad on the track. But after Canada last year, in fact, it was pretty much a year ago, um, and breaking my shoulder, that's like the most pain I've ever been in. And so I'm going to go with track just 
purely because of that one crash. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just crashing in general just isn't nice. I think if you were to choose, though, you would slide more on the track and generally that's better than just like, you know, a bum like on some concrete or Yeah, I feel knows, like you can deal with splinters. Like I yeah. know it's like they yeah, they hurt, don't they? But they come out eventually. But broken bones is just like a different. Yeah, I'm not. I don't know. Road just seems scary to me. That's why I don't <laughs> you, do it anymore. <laughs> you do get big splinters, though. Don't you? Was it Jason Queeley who got that massive? Well, and a Wang, a Wang got the one straight uh, through his. Yeah, it was like oh, a spear. Yeah. Didn't he? Oh, it yeah. was like a javelin, like a wooden javelin. Yeah, straight through his calf muscle and out his by his shin. It's an unbelievable oh, photo. It was horrendous. Yeah. So here's a question for you, Laura. More technical one about the track. Do you know what the lines are? What the lines are for and named? I have no idea. I know you've got the coat inside bit and then you've got the black one and the red one. <laughs> Can't go outside the red one. <laughs> Is that the sprinter's line, maybe? I don't know. Yeah, to be fair, I don't know the names either. <laughs> okay, good. Obviously, the coat is so, so you've won six Olympic track medals between you and you don't know what the lines are for on a track. Well... The black one is obviously where the distance of the track's measured around, so that's the quickest way. The red yeah. one, that's more purely for the sprinters, I think, which is basically... Well, any sprint now. So, like, oh, in a it? bunch race, you can get done for going out of... Yeah, so when the sprint is on, it used to be when you cross the 200-metre line, yeah. you had to stay within the red if you'd taken the sprint on. But now, it's if the sprint is on, so, like, say someone in a scratch race takes it on 500 metres to go, that person can't come out of the red. Okay, well, good job you came on. They're trying to make it a bit safer. I'm learning. <laughs> I'm learning as we go. Yeah, so basically if you drop below that red line and you're on the front, you're not allowed to move out of it, are you? Until, no. well, you're not on the front anymore. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> because you could take someone out if you swung up. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. And you're also not allowed to enter it. So like if someone, so say Jason is under the red, his, the person he's sprinting against can't enter. He can't go under the red. Unless he's behind him, but he can't go to go under Jason. Oh, well. And then the blue oh. line's just the one you warm up on, right? <laughs> yeah, that's the one that I don't know. So, yeah, you just warm up on it, yeah. <laughs> Do you know Tom? I don't know. Tom, are you going to inf- inform us what they are? <laughs> no, I'm certainly not because you two are the experts. But I, I would like to clarify, when you say the coats, you mean the coat d'azur, don't you, Laura? Just explain yeah. what that is for people who haven't ridden a velodrome. Um, I mean, it's just the bottom bit of the track. So some velodromes don't have, like, an inner. So, like, you might go to one... Well, Wellin had a running track, but like you might go to an outdoor one. I'm trying to think. Uh, Dudenhofen, for example, in Germany, hasn't got anything else. It's just grass and then the coat and then the track. So it just helps you get on and off without obviously decking it. <laughs> <laughs> and you don't want to hit it in a race either because they're, da- they're quite dangerous. Because they, what they're made, they're, they're shinier, so there's not as much. Well, they can be slippery, but obviously it's not got a bank. It's not banked. It's yeah, it's flat. not as steep as the banking. So you go in from a. F- I don't know, 42 degree angle, whatever it is in Manchester to, yeah, it's a bit more than flat, isn't it? Maybe 10. So, and you need the banking to get around the corner because obviously fixed gear, no brakes and all, no freewheeling and all that. So yeah, it's, you, you, if you're on that and you sprint, like you're in trouble really. We did a session the other day. I'm just watching, it was Madison. We've been doing it with the under 23 lads, which is good because it puts us girls out of our comfort zone because it's just so much quicker. Um, then even our races really um, and anyways I'm just watching this dude go under a change and I was like oh no like I'm just watching it unfold because we were behind him because <laughs> he's got to <laughs> enter he's got to come back on the track and I was like oh just shoots up to the blue line <laughs> yeah I remember like when we were training on the track actually there's always like some you know taster session or some new guys beginners whatever on before us and oh I used to be great watching them he'd always be like oh he's going way too slow he's gonna go <laughs> And then you, you always be taking bets if they're going to slip and crash. Uh, there was always quite a few, actually. They were always okay because you kind of, when you think about it, it, you don't fall that far, you know, because you fall to your right when you slip off the track and you're going too slow. So you're going slow and then you just land on a, a slide, basically, and slide off. Yeah. Although if you go left, but, it's pretty bad. It's pretty horrific. Yeah, I did fall left once. I was doing a Madison in, in uh, Ghent. So that's another 166 metres or something real tight. So when you're at the top, you're quite high because the bankings are even steeper because you need to get round quicker, obviously. And we're doing a change. I was at the very top of the track and the guy in front of me basically just turned right on me. I hit the barrier, fell left and basically fell on the flat off the track. And um, yeah, proper winded myself. And I remember just Rod walking up to me and just like, 
as if he was thinking, you twat. But I was like, mate, that wasn't even my fault. <laughs> and he just does my wheels, sorts me out, pushes me off, away I go again. But wow, that was, yeah, that was a big one. When I did my shoulder, it was basically that exact thing with Ian. Like Ian was just like, on your pop, off you go. You'll be yeah. fine. <laughs> What's the matter with you? It's like, my arm's hanging off. I think it's hanging off. <laughs> <laughs> you spent so much time in, in velodromes, Laura, far far more time than, than G, right? in particular in Manchester. You've done any number of laps. You know, you've been sick into a bucket there any number of times. Does it ever just feel like an office? Um, I mean, in a way, but like, it's not, it's not like, I don't find it boring. Like every single session we do is, is different, you know? Um, and we don't spend day in, day out on the track either is the other thing. I think because people think because you're a track rider, that's all you must do. But you know, majority of our training is actually on the road or in the gym. So I don't spend that much time there. Like this week, I'm only going in on Friday, for example. And I mean, it's familiar. Like when, when I go there, I'm like, I mean, it's funny though, because I say it's familiar, but I love it. Like, I still get the feeling. I'm like, oh, I just love this track. Like, it is just such a nice track and it's easy to ride. And yeah, just Team Pursuit there is just so much easier to do. So yeah, I mean, it is is an office, but it's not tedious like an office. I don't feel like I'm doing like a nine till five when I go there because it's still fun. And like, it's just a competition. Every every session you do, it's a competition with your teammates almost. You know what I mean? Like you're all competing to be in that team. So every time something is different, like it just brings something else. That's the biggest thing I admire about, you know, Laura, Sir Chrisoy, Ed. Obviously, Laura enjoys it still, but it must just to go in to the velodrome so often and, you know, always pushing yourself because every session is maximal almost, you know, on the road it's well, yeah, it's, it's, it varies a lot. You do different roads, obviously, but you, you, you're not pushing yourself to the limit all the time. Whereas those guys and girls, like athletes, are just yeah, it's intense the track, and it's just got it's just getting more and more intense, harder all the time, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, we're definitely more. I reckon as it's like developed, it's more power based than it is anything else now. Um, so it is getting shorter and shorter almost. Like you're seeing. I mean, I think if you look at the Australian team pursuit team, like a lot of them are just well it's it's like more of a sprint i mean the speed that denmark went at worlds is just like insane there's something when you go to manchester laura there's something quite democratic about that track isn't there because they'll you'll, you'll have the absolute elites like you and jason with all your olympic goals and then a session for you might end and then a club session might go on or there's been times when i've been there with you and there's been people playing badminton in the track center you know, they put they put the nets up and you've got elite Olympic athletes hammering around the boards and then, you know, a couple of 50-year-olds playing badminton. Yeah, I mean, it's good that though. I like it. I like that it's got, it's like multi-sports, isn't it? Um, it's good as well um, because Albie actually does the balance bike BMX because obviously the BMX is does on he? the other side now, isn't it? Yeah. And so like he gets it a little bit now. Like we can say, oh, you're coming to mummy and daddy's work because we call it work because otherwise it's difficult to be like... Yeah, we're athletes. Like he just won't get it. Yeah. You know what I mean? Whereas if you say, "Right, I'm going to work now," he's like, "Oh, okay, you'll be back soon." Um, so it's good. Yeah, we we take him to work, although it's not work. I was going to say that I enjoyed it when there was badminton going on, or sometimes even football. Um, obviously, five, five aside or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah like that, kids clubs. They used to do kids clubs in the middle. Yeah, so it just adds a bit of atmosphere in there as well, you know, because that's serious stuff as well, isn't it? A bit of five aside or a kids club is loud <laughs> so it just adds just yeah. they just got to make sure the net's on the right side of the fence because yeah, you don't want the ball bounce on the track when you're doing 60 okay <laughs> an hour <laughs> we actually used to have that at Welling because it was a football pitch in the middle so you used to just get balls like flinging onto the track and stuff <laughs> oh at Mandy when I started around bonfire night was dodgy because we just get what fireworks yeah 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 the, just the scallies <laughs> down the road just come and fire fireworks at us <laughs> Yeah, and stones and yeah, those were the days. Yeah, we had yeah. stones to be fair, yeah. What can you hear, Laura, when you're when you're racing and you're and you're doing the laps, do you get a different sound because ordinarily the crowd are at the deepest on the straights, aren't they? And depending on the yeah. stadium, usually the number of seats above the banking just because they're so steep drops off. So when you're going round, are you conscious of the different noises as you're going round, as the roar as you're going down the home straight and then it just quietening off as you're coming around the banking? Um no, not really, I don't think. I mean, I, do, I don't even really, I don't think you really pay attention to it. Um, like, you know, if you're on for a good time or a world record or whatever, because like people definitely start cheering more. Like even in terms of, say you're in Australia, like they will cheer 
because it's going to be a world record. Um, so you can tell that whether you, like, you're on for a good time. But no, I don't feel like you really take that much notice. I mean, there's so many things. I think people think, you know, when you ride a team pursuit, you're just following the wheel in front. But there's like a million things that are like going through your head. Like that's the, the last thing I'm thinking is, oh, people cheering for me. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes though, you can tell, like for instance, if it's a home worlds or whatever, you can tell if you're down because it's almost like the, the noise sort of quietens a bit. Yeah, they're like sad. Like, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, when it flashes up on the screen, there's definitely a sort of... <gasps> Oh, not yeah. anything. But then, <laughs> but then when you're coming back, the noise is getting bigger and bigger, and then suddenly yeah. it's like the roar and yeah. But I remember. I mean, London was just insane. Like there was like nothing else. I've never experienced anything like London. Yeah, that was insane. That's the best atmosphere I think I've ever experienced. Really, riding myself. You know, when you did the nationals as well, or as a, as a young when you did the a nationals youth. before, <laughs> yeah, when you were a youth rider, yeah. did you? Um, was there that guy playing the flute in the stands? Yeah. Yeah. What? You know, I tweeted years ago to see if he was still alive. And at the time he was, like he was still going strong. But I mean, that must have been, I don't know, like it might have even been 2012. But I think he's died now. Oh, was he? That's yeah. A, was he an official happened. flautist? Was he like an official British cycling flautist or just a man who liked playing his flute? He was a fan, I races. think. And he'd just yeah, play different if he songs. Liked yeah, yeah. <laughs> he'd play Welsh yeah. songs if I weren't. And yeah, oh. like. There was like maybe six people in the stands, like, you know, all parents and then him. <laughs> and he was, he was like 90. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Poor guy. <laughs> uh, we, when, we, when we spoke to, um, to Sar G, she was saying that she was maybe going to encourage Max to take up golf rather than cycling, partly as a result of all the worries she's had about you when you do the thing that we're not allowed to talk about when you hit the deck. So for you, Laura... Like Albie's on his on his balance bike now, going around the BMX. Would you want him to be a rider like like you and his dad? Um, I'm not against it. I mean, I think there's a lot more dangerous sports. I wouldn't want him to do boxing or even rugby. You know, ones where you're going to take massive hits to the head. And I know, yeah, we get concussed, but yeah, there's. I feel like there's a lot more dangerous sports. And cycling's just bought me so much that if he enjoyed it, I would just say like go for it because it's it's a lifestyle thing like I love our lifestyle I literally cannot imagine and I I almost wouldn't want him to just be sat at a computer nine till five just doing the same old like every day for us is different and so as much as it brings its danger or whatever it brings so much like it brings much more like positive things you know what I mean I don't know yeah if if he was good at it I'd say go for it I agree I wonder who's going to be quicker I'm going to get you two to be competitive now. Who's going to be quicker, Albie or Max? Oh, definitely Albie. Well, Look at the jeans. Oh, okay, thanks, thanks. <laughs> Look at his old man. Because... Like, won, what, six or seven Olympic gold medals in the sprint. Yeah, he's going to be a sprinter, isn't he? He's got to be. Although, like I say, Team Pursuit is yeah. going that way. So, maybe. Maybe in, like, whatever, he'll be Team Pursuit. I might get him a okay, T-shirt. So... Made for Team Pursuit. <laughs> So Albie will be man one in, in, in the team pursuit. What Olympics would this be? In uh, 2044, oh, like yeah, something like that. Yeah. So Albie's going to be man one and Max will be man three, yeah? Yeah, man three or man four, yeah. He'll drop in after the tour, yeah. <laughs> uh, that'd be funny if that happens now, wouldn't it? Take I your know, bets. Yeah. I mean, throw Sir Chris's little one into the mix as well. We've got, we've got yeah. my team coming for these Olympics. <laughs> <laughs> Just need one more. <laughs> I'm sure you can pump another out. Well, no, that sounds a bit like you don't. <laughs> I'm sure you can have another one. <laughs> uh, anyway, moving on. <laughs> uh. Right, moving on swiftly from that description of the ardours of pregnancy um, from Geraint. Uh, Laura, we can't let you go without asking for some tips for our GTCC club members. So we've got quite a few members who do ride at the Velodrome anyway, but for those who are maybe thinking about it or might want to do a, a taster session, what would your tips be to make it easier? I mean, just stay relaxed, I guess, um, because like the worst thing you can do is go up and be really nervous and be really like stiff and holding the handlebars really tight um so just go up yeah and just be relaxed and just listen to the like instructors because they've done a lot of sessions you know um so they do know their stuff they might not necessarily 
be an Olympic athlete, but they would have done thousands of these classes. So yeah, to so just go up and just yeah, be relaxed and enjoy it. Yeah, and do it with some mates as well. Maybe that always makes it a bit, you know, get a bit of you know competition going as well or friendly rivalry, and just people to enjoy it with because yeah, it is a it is a good experience. You know, walking into that velodrome, especially if you haven't been there for the first time. And I suppose the other one, Laura, will be just to keep pedalling. Don't stop pedalling. <laughs> yeah, keep pedalling. Yeah. I mean, is there some random thing about keeping the pressure on your left foot and keep you up the track? I think that's right. Ah. I'm sure Ian Dyer used to tell me this. Oh, really? Yeah. If you keep pressure on the one foot, then you're A-OK. It doesn't matter whether you're at the bottom or the top. Well, I never knew that. <laughs> nice. All right, well, thanks for that, Laura. It was great to, great to see you and have you on the pod. No problem. Thanks for having me. Week 11 now, Tom. You're turning into a right Zwifter. Yeah, I am. I'm, I'm loving my Zwiftgy. My little session I've done this week was called Uphill Battle, which is appropriate for the way that I ride. Um, took me about an hour. I ended up burning, according to the Zwift app, 656 calories, which meant that I could have fish and chips for my tea, which was a massive win. Or six Welsh cakes. Yeah, arguably slightly less nutritional value, but possibly more pleasant. Maybe, G, I'll do fish and chips for the first course next time and then have a couple of Welsh cakes for my dessert. Lovely. So if you're listening to this and you fancy giving Zwift a try, just go to Zwift.com to start your free trial. And of course, don't forget you can join our club ride every Wednesday evening at 6pm. Everyone is welcome. Right, Chairman Tom, it's time for any other club business. What have you got for us today? Well, you know what I'm like as a, as a Chairman, G. I'm really into new appointments because it means I have to do slightly less work. So I'm going to start that way this week. The first one, now this is an interesting one, could be useful, might go wrong. Rob Williams has got in touch to ask if he could be the official GTCC club tipster. Now, I can see a couple of issues with this, one of which is that you aren't allowed to bet on or give tips or steers on the results or the possible outcomes of races you're in, for obvious reasons. <laughs> I also feel like if we are going to give this position to Rob, I feel like we need a bit of evidence of previous success. Otherwise, we're just screwing our own members over. Yeah, that's true. Go on. I'll start with your second point, actually, with the whole evidence the one thing i find with people that gamble right they always tell you about their wins but they don't tell you about the 40 losses before that one win so we gotta be careful with that as well your first point 100 i am staying well clear of any cycling tips even it's not even races i'm in it's just any cycling i've got to stay clear of so he's welcome aboard if he wants to give us some tips on the chester race course or you know wales (laughs) rugby or whatever they want but um yeah any cycling chat i'm I'm offline. Okay, Rob, so if you could send us maybe some evidence of successful accumulators you've had on the football at the weekends, we might consider it, but we cannot go near cycling. Uh, Next up, we've got another entry for our social committee, G. So you'll remember we've already got Neil Cole and Emma O'Reilly in that department, but Luke Wallace has also put himself forward for the social committee. His reasoning is this. He specialises, he says, in fancy dress, good start, and southwest London watering holes also claims he's very capable of organising a kangaroo court. What do you think? Sounds good. He sold it to me, yeah. I think more people planning big parties, the better, yeah. What's your fancy dress of choice? Uh, I don't normally choose. Normally it's a theme, isn't it? Yeah, it can go either way, can't it? What, what... <laughs> um, okay, if I had to choose... Oh, blimey, I don't know. Absolutely no idea. It's nothing I've ever... Halloween, what would I dress up as Halloween? Normally just put a bed sheet over me and cut some holes in it. <laughs> this is telling me, G, that we we need Luke Wallace on board. And perhaps, Luke, your first task yeah. could be to mock up some images of G in different sorts of fancy dress, send them to us at the usual social places, and we can maybe <laughs> help you make your decision, G. Quality. Uh, let's do some shout-outs to finish. Kevin McCreeth wants a shout-out for his business, Hanson Design which he started as a hobby business. They sell T-shirts covering football and cycling. And with enough support, he says, they'll add to the list. So check it out. And finally, Sam Rogers has offered me his 1984 rally sprint record for our challenge, Tom. Now, I don't know if all the listeners remember, but it's the one where Tom gets my Pinarello, 2021 edition Pinarello, and I get 
that's a vintage bike and we race around the Cote d'Azur, the the real one, not the track, the the roads down the south of France, <laughs> and uh, we go up the Madone. Sam says, it's not quite a 100-year-old bike, but by the time it gets down to us, it might well be. Yeah, I'm slightly worried I'm going to need more than 37 years to make up the difference between you and me as riders, G. I'm also slightly concerned. Right? I understood this challenge was just going up the Madone, but the way you've introduced it there, we're doing what, a massive lap of the the wider Cote d'Azur region before we even get to the climb. You're going to try and tire me out. Yeah, well, I need to show you the sights, you know, go along the coast, you know, up and down a bit, and then, yeah, finish up the Madone. Be lovely, that. But saying that, 37 years, mate, think about the technology. It's come such a long way. Like, for instance, my bike with the DI2 electric shifters, I've got it. this function actually turned off because we like to be in control as professional riders. But basically... It's got a function on there. If you go from, if you're riding on a flat road and then you hit a climb, so in the big ring and you go down to the small ring, the difference in gear ratios there is, is massive, you know. So you could be pedaling a 60 RPM, you go into the small ring, you suddenly go 120. So now this is the clever part, okay? <laughs> so with DI2s, it's got like a little, well, I call it a brain. I don't know what it is, a chipboard or something. <laughs> and basically computer yeah that'll do <laughs> <laughs> and once you go from the big to the small ring it'll actually go down your cassette on your back wheel so the ratio the difference is less basically so instead of going from 60 to 120 rpm you go from 60 to 90 85 and yeah boom world's your oyster but like i say that function will be turned off so sorry mate you won't be having that so what i'm gonna need all the help i can get <laughs> like, admittedly, I don't think I'm going to be. My RPM is probably on that climb isn't going to get above about fifty. I've got a decent. I mean, I might have. This will get quite technical, I guess. But I've got maybe a twenty-nine sprocket on the back. So on your mountain bike, it might be thirty-five. It's basically the amount of teeth. The more teeth you got, the lighter the gears, gear is. The easier to pedal. So you might struggle on a few points, but it's not too steep. It's only about seven, eight percent. Am I going to fit your bike, or do I need Richie Ports? That's a point. I'll get Richie's from you. Yeah, no yeah. stress. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure you'll be happy enough. If it's going up Madone, he'll be happy for it to do another <laughs> do it another time. Just make sure he takes his bike computer off beforehand, otherwise he's gonna look at his numbers and go, Mate, what's happening here? <laughs> It'll just keep auto pausing probably, won't it? This your garment. <laughs> yeah, well, big chat, Geraint, big chat. <laughs> <laughs> Great. <laughs> and if you fancy listening to another pod on your rides this week, Tom, what can I listen try out? Yeah, how about this one, G? How about Death of a Sports Star? It's presented by the legendary Elroy Spoonface Powell. You can check out episodes about Kobe Bryant, about Payne Stewart, Marco Pantani, Flojo, John Alomu, and more. There's a new episode out every Monday. Just search for Death of a Sports Star. We'll see you next time. Ciao, ciao. That was the Geraint Thomas Cycling Club. Thanks to top tipster Rob Williams, to Luke Wallace of the Social Committee, to our head of social media, Fionn Clark, our head of music, Emma Hickman, our treasurer, Diane Barker, and our honorary president, Mike Carr. And of course, to you, our GTCC members, for listening. We'll see you next time. Crowd Network, a place where you belong. <laughs>